I think one of the hardest things about being gay and in the closet, that is uh, being attracted to the same sex, but not telling anyone about that. uh, One of the hardest things about that experience for me, and I think for a a good number of people, um, is that it becomes really hard when, when people tell you that they love you, it becomes really hard to hear that without imagining that there's always an asterisk after that statement. Um, because, because you're hearing their love, but you're also hearing everything that that person has ever said about gay people in your presence. Welcome to another episode of Sex Plus Christian Parents Podcast. I am Jason. I'm Thomas. And we're going to dive into a conversation that we've just not dived into yet. And that's same-sex sexuality, same-sex attraction, uh, uh, homosexuality. This is something that we are going to be discussing, uh, and I, I think it's an important discussion. I think so. Now, I, I think we need to start with this. <laughs> um, we're going to have some pushback. You and I have had some comments off air yep. and had some conversation, and and it's going to be a learning experience, I think, for you. Is that a fair uh, uh, statement? Yeah, learning, yeah, that'll be a fair one. So, and and here's something else. Maybe we should say this for our listeners because I think that sometimes uh, listeners are engaging in this content and they see us as the experts because we're the one that's sharing it. But we're (laughs) learning too, right? Right, right. I mean, we're we're inviting guests who are experts, who have stories that are powerful, and uh, we're learning from them. Right. I, I see us more as facilitators of the conversation than experts of it sometimes there are a few things i think we have uh, some knowledge on but yeah we're always growing and learning so good work yeah so so today's episode what we want you to be able to do is to dive into greg's story because greg is one of the most articulate human beings i've ever met i really appreciate his heart and the narrative because there are going to be many narratives that greg shares in this episode i want you to just sit back engage listen I really believe that what he has to share is needed, is powerful, and it's going to be incredibly helpful. So let me hand it back over to Greg Coles. My name is Greg Coles. I grew up overseas in Indonesia uh, to Christian parents, so grew up in the church, um, grew up going to youth group, among other things, um, and I had an expectation of how I thought my sexuality was going to turn out when I was a kid. I thought that I was going to fall in love with a nice young lady and get married and have 2.4 children. Uh, But uh, my expectations were uh, a bit bit shattered uh, when it turned out that I was not attracted to any of the nice young ladies, um, but I was attracted to some of the nice young men. Uh, That launched a season in my life of trying to figure out what it looked like uh, to be somebody who followed Jesus uh, with that experience of uh, sexuality. Um, as I was wrestling with all of that, uh, I also managed by the grace of God to finish high school. Uh, I moved from Indonesia back to the States um, at, where I did uh, some undergraduate work in communication, worked for a church for a year, uh, and then I went on to graduate school and did a PhD in English, uh, specifically studying rhetorical theory Uh, or more or less the philosophy of how language works in society. Um, So I am in central Pennsylvania now, um, where I just finished up my PhD about a year and a half ago. And I now work part-time for a church uh, as a worship leader. 
and I write and speak with most of the rest of my time, though my speaking of late has been a bit less in person than it used to be, uh, thanks to our current pandemic situation. Now, you'll gather this through the entire episode, but Greg's story is incredibly powerful. And his narrative that he shares over and over again is one that I think we can learn from. And he doesn't just share his own narrative. He's actually diving into scripture. But one of the things that he will continue to address is being gay. And I think that uh, we need to have a moment where we just simply talk about that word. I think that for the longest time, Christians have labeled gay as meaning that you're having same-sex sexual behavior. Right. It, it, it has meant uh, something more than what I think the individual that's using that term has meant. And and I always say this, if, if you're not really sure, you got to ask. Like, what do you mean by when you say you're gay? What do you mean by when you say you're a lesbian? What do you mean by when you say you're bisexual? Sometimes it, it, it's very minimal, and sometimes it might just even be attraction. You know, one of the things that, that Greg is talking about here is is attraction, sexual attraction. And I just need for our listeners to be able to hear this, that there is nothing in Scripture that speaks of same-sex sexual attraction as sin. Now I look at you, man, and Thomas is smiling, and he's he's struggling with this. And, and, and so what comes to mind when I say that? I know, you know, the, 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 the crazy thing is it's just not something we've talked about because— and Jason, you're right. We frame this conversation based off the behaviors, right? And so we haven't talked identity or traction enough. And so even as I'm hearing you say those words, I'm like, I think you're right, right? Knowing my Bible, wrestling with it, but that feels wrong. Now I'm not led by the feeling, yeah. but it just, but I think it feels off because we, we've never talked about it in that sense. Yeah. Well, we haven't really dived into to scripture in a way that allows us an ability to really parse through the particulars. Absolutely. And and the, I guess the easiest way that I, I would say this, and, and I speak about this when we do seminars and forums, is there there is a difference between how we might be oriented towards a particular sin, like you and I right. are oriented towards particular sins, yep. whatever those might be. And if we're going to stay in the area of sex or sexuality, there are particular sexual sins that each of us is drawn to that's different from one to the other. Now, the orientation towards that particular sin is not the sin. That's just the particular temptation. Now, when we allow ourselves to step into that temptation, being controlled by it, used by it, that's where sin begins to occur, right? And that's where behavior happens. And so I think separating orientation from behavior, uh, how we might be oriented towards a particular sin, doesn't necessarily make that the sin. The sin is the behavior. And I think it's pretty clear in Scripture— right? That same-sex sexual behavior is sin, but there is nothing that draws upon same-sex sexual attraction as the sin. So now, okay, so here's where my brain goes, right? So now, are you saying that someone can be gay and not in sin because gay defined that way can be just attraction, which is not sinful? I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just asking because historically, when we've used that marker, that identity, uh, that identifying language— it's meant more than that. It has. And I think that's where the terminology, as we dive into this in this episode and then in future episodes, right. I mean, it even gets more complicated when you talk about transgender identities, right? Like, Ooh, which yeah. we're not talking about here. But but I do think that, yes, we have to get to the particular. We have to understand the, the specifics. And I, and I do think that we have 
lumped a lot of different stuff into one particular term. Agreed. Now, here's the other dynamic that that people will start to quickly dive into is, well, what about identity? And we're not talking about identity at this moment. Identity um, is is a little bit different. Someone can be gay, same-sex attracted, and still find their identity fully in Jesus Christ, which Greg will get to. Yes. But we do need to save that for a little bit later because Greg will dive into some of that. Well, I think you hit it, and and we want to hear more from Greg, but I think you hit it well that we've got to get into the particulars because we've dumped too much into the one word or into a few words, and it gets so convoluted that we don't really know what we're talking about anymore. Absolutely. Well, let's transition back to Greg. And a key part of what he's going to be sharing here are narratives. I think when I was a kid, I had such a clear vision of what I was told my life was supposed to turn out like, you know, the the, the marriage and so forth. And even as I was approaching puberty, there was a very clear narrative I heard about how my experience of sexual attraction would work out. Uh, I had plenty of access to the books that would help me as a as a red-blooded young man deal with my attraction to women in a way that was honoring to God. Uh, and, and I also simultaneously had something of a familiar narrative about gay people. Uh, I had I had heard a few things here and there. We didn't we didn't talk about gay people a ton, but I knew that they existed. And based on what I knew of them, there was a whole set of assumptions that seemed to come with being attracted to the same sex. Uh, and it probably included something like a rejection of God, or perhaps uh, depending on how Pentecostal you were, maybe some demonic activity was involved. Um, but there were th- there were a handful of assumptions that seemed to come with what it meant to be gay, and none of those had anything remotely to do with the world as I experienced it, the world in which I was just this kid who was very in love with Jesus and also really scared of puberty because everyone seemed to be hinting that in puberty you all of a sudden developed all these weird, crazy, gross urges. But when when the two narratives began to collide for me, when I started to realize, I think... The, the things I've been told about how my experience of sexuality will work out don't all seem to be coming true. And at the same time, I, I seem to be beginning to see in myself some of these traits that I thought only belonged to that very other group of people, only belonged to those gay people. Uh, I, I, I really wrestled to, to try to figure out how those things could both be true of me. How could I both be some kid who was in love with Jesus and also somebody who was by, by no intention of my own gay? Uh, and, and so I think when I, when I as a kid used to, used to lie on my bunk bed uh, and, and, and whisper the words, uh, I'm gay, I'm gay. Part of part of that experience, I think, was, was me trying to wrestle with what, what felt like this really incommensurable uh, set of set of beliefs that that I knew that gay people couldn't possibly love God or be loved by God, and yet I also knew that I that I did love God. And as far as far as I could tell, as far as I had spent my whole life believing and feeling, um, I was indeed also loved by God. And so I had these these two truths, and truths here should be spoken, I suppose, in in uh, some air quotation marks. 
um, because I held them both to be true, that you couldn't be gay and love Jesus, and that I also did love Jesus. Can I just say what breaks my heart when it comes to Greg's story, and by the way, I'm so appreciative of how vulnerable he is with telling it. He mentions that he was praying that God would just fix this. And this is true of so many individuals, is that his belief for a time was he would pray that God would fix this. Mm-hmm. And then it starts getting into an issue of, do you have enough faith and you're not praying? And that's spiritual abuse that we cause people to enter into and to struggle with, because that's just not a concept found in scripture that God is going to fix you. That's not even language he uses mm. in his redeeming love and nature for us. And so I just want you to hear that for a moment as all of us, once again, are learning and wrestling with what this topic is about. Recognize that we can go too far sometimes and actually hurt people. Now, thank God in Greg's case, that wasn't true. He's a strong believer who loves the Lord, but he had to wrestle with this. Yeah, he did. And, and, and you know, you, you also have to recognize the story that that he shares includes family that loved him that that engaged in his revelation incredibly well but then i think of all those that are in similar situations that don't have that right. and and i think that you know one of the things that we have to understand is that god loves all people god loves gay people god loves transgender uh, people, God loves straight people, right? And and because why? Because we are all made in the image of God. That's right. And we need to to understand that if we're really going to do this well, well, then we need to understand that we need to first start with God's love for all of creation, for all of humanity. And I I really I just deeply appreciate. Um, Greg and and the way he is sharing this I'm deeply grateful for his parents but you're right like there is this aspect of abuse that we have created or done and I don't know if it's always been purposeful I think that there is a heart but what we've not done is is expressed our love and left room for the Trinity and what I mean by that hmm. the, the work of the Holy Spirit that's right you know we, we talk a lot about God and Jesus but we don't always talk about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can do a mighty work, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the Holy Spirit is going to change our attraction. Right. Right. And and I and I even think I love the way he closed that last section, and he said, "Called into marriage." Right. And we I, that's a great concept. We, we talk about this, way. right? Yeah, it's a calling. You know, I, I, I gosh, I, I want us to be able to listen to Greg even more and, and, and just listen now as he shares what it was like to be a, a closeted gay person and how that led him to putting imaginary asterisks on the love of his family and even his community. My first instinct when I when I started to recognize, I, I think I'm gay and I don't think that fits the categories that I have. Uh, my My first instinct was to... Uh, to isolate myself from other people. So the only person that I ever came out to uh, between the age of about 12, when I first began to recognize, I think I'm attracted to guys. And uh, until I finished college for a, a period of about 10 years, the only person that I came out to during that time uh, was my brother, John. And the only reason I came out to John was because he just happened to ask me a question 
that caught me off guard and I didn't have time to come up with a good lie in time. And so I just told him the truth. Um, and he and I had had one brief, awkward conversation about it. And then about a week later, he, you know, wanting to be supportive, but not really knowing what to say, because he was only a few years older than me. Uh, he, he asked me, hey, uh, how's it going with, you know, that? Um, and and I wanting to be optimistic and give him some good news. I said, you know, I think it's getting better. Yeah, it's it's definitely getting a little better. Um and and that was the only that was the only conversation that I had uh, with anyone else. Um, so instead of having conversations with people about my experience of sexuality, what I did was I watched very closely how the people around me talked about sexuality. Um, I did what reading I could find on the subject, and the narratives that I saw, uh, by and large, there there were two narratives that were somewhat prevalent as I was growing up. Uh, there was the, the ex-gay narrative uh, and there was the gay affirming narrative. Uh, the ex-gay narrative said, you just pray enough, you figure out what has gone wrong in your childhood that has made you gay. Uh, and then, you know, as you follow Jesus obediently, you become straight. Um, and the other narrative, the gay affirming narrative said, you know, you just need to revisit the biblical texts that seem to talk about same-sex sexual relationships um, and when you do that revisiting, you can conclude that the Bible actually does leave room for followers of Jesus to pursue monogamous same-sex relationships. Um, so in the community that I was in, the narrative that was more prevalent by far was the ex-gay narrative. Uh, and so that was the one that I spent the next several years of my life trying to lean into, you know, asking, is there something that has gone wrong in my upbringing? Um, certainly uh, one of the things that ex-gay uh, narratives at that time would say was that it was likely that it was your parents' fault that you had turned out to be gay, that perhaps you had a, a distant father and an overbearing mother. Um, and I was blessed to be able to look at my own life and say pretty categorically, my parents are great. Like, my dad is not distant. My mom is not overbearing. Um, but I figured, you know, even if, even if the narratives about etiology, the explanations of why I'm supposed to be gay don't turn out to be true in my life. I at least believe in prayer. So I was like, I'll, ju I'll just pray for it. I'll just wait until God decides to fix me, uh, until God decides to give me a grand testimony of healing. And I decided I'm going to wait for that testimony of healing until I start to talk to other people. I, I felt like I wanted the story of my being gay to be a story that I told about who I was uh, and and not about not about who I turned out to be in in the final analysis. I wanted I wanted to to give a grand testimony of how I had become straight. Um, and so so I waited and I prayed for that through middle school and high school and college. Um, I, I did do a bit of uh, dating. I dated a lovely young woman in college uh, for a gay guy. I had really excellent taste in girlfriends, um, but uh, it, it became clearer over the course of time. Uh, that, that marriage was not the thing that God was calling me to. I think one of the hardest things about being gay and in the closet, that is uh, a, being attracted to the same sex, but not telling anyone about that. Uh, one of the hardest things about that experience 
for me, and I think for a, a good number of people, um, is that it becomes really hard when when people tell you that they love you. It becomes really hard to hear that without imagining that there's always an asterisk after that statement, um, because because you're hearing their love, but you're also hearing everything that that person has ever said about gay people in your presence. Um, and you're also hearing everything that the communities that you're part of uh, has ever said about gay people in your presence. Um, and so it becomes uh, it becomes increasingly difficult then when you hear somebody tell you that they love you, when, when you experience friendship and deep intimate relationship with people, it becomes increasingly difficult to know whether those things will really persist, whether those things would continue to be true if people also knew everything about your experience of sexuality. Um, and and so, so you hear people's words to you with asterisks. And I think that can be especially dangerous on a spiritual level because we are, as human beings, I would contend, we are created to encounter the love of God in the love of other people. Um, that, that we see the face of God in one another, that, that when God creates Adam and then is like, I should make another one of these. Uh, it, it, it's not just that pro, uh, procreation is a two-player game, right? God's not just saying like, let's make babies, but he's saying it is not good for human beings to be alone. Why? Because fundamentally we are designed to encounter the love of God in the love of other people. Um, and so the more we find ourselves caveating the love of others and saying, I'm not sure if they would really love me if they knew, the more we then also find ourselves caveating the love of God and saying, I'm not really sure, I'm not positive that he loves me either. I hope you listen to that well. If not, go back and hear it again. You cannot caveat the love of God. That's such a good word from Greg because if we think about it, we do that all too often. The moment we don't agree with someone, the moment we don't agree with a lifestyle or what any anything, right? We're particularly talking about Greg's story of being a gay Christian, but we caveat the love of God, which means we start representing God in a way he did not intend, and it's so harmful for everyone involved. Yeah, I, I, I think that one of the things that I—, I, I want us to be able to take away from this episode is how you know sometimes we can we we can say we love but we also place an asterisk and maybe we don't intend to do that and especially true i think for lgbt youth that that there is this asterisk that yes i love you but in fact i i, I am very familiar with the the aspect of the conversation that we can have. And this has happened over the years. I've, I've learned to not do this any longer, but using that word, but I love you, but, right. And I, I just simply think having the words, I love you with nothing following it are some of the most important tools, some of the most important words, some of the most important things that we can say, you know, the idea that an LGBT a youth or a gay youth needs to be fixed or changed. You know, I know that our heart would be that they would, you know, fall into a particular line of thought and action, but that just simply is not true um, for many gay youth, for many LGBT youth. 
And we have to start understanding that, that, that yes, do I believe the Holy Spirit can bring great change? Absolutely. But does that happen for a majority of youth that might label themselves as LGBT? No, it just, it doesn't. That's why our love needs to be communicated clearly. And the fixed you or the fix you culture that sometimes permeates in the church, I, I think we've got to point out some of the flaws. And I think Greg does a phenomenal job of doing this and, and, and engaging in this very mindset. When I think about the idea of fixing someone with regard to their experience of sexuality, the first thing that I want to ask is, what is the what is the experience of human sexuality that we think of as as fully fixed, as as perfect, as entirely what God designed it to be? Uh, because when I think back to my my pubescent introduction to human sexuality, when I think back to the youth group gatherings, where people said, look, Coles, here's what's going to happen to you with regard to sexuality. You are going to develop this irresistible urge to look at pictures of naked women, but don't do it. I, I remember thinking at the time, like, that seems pretty awful. Um, I, I don't want to suddenly develop this uncontrollable urge to look at naked women. And, and initially, uh, one of my first clues that I was gay was that I experienced absolutely no temptation to look at pictures of naked women. Um, and because that was my first introduction to being gay, I thought at the time that it was this remarkable gift that I had suddenly turned out to be like the holiest 12-year-old in the world because all the other young boys were apparently having this experience that sounded terrible, that sounded quite unperfect to me. Uh, and I, meanwhile, was apparently spared that experience that the Lord was just blessing me because I loved him so much. Um, and so in a sense, uh, my my divergence from the norm that I had been told to expect, my non-heterosexuality, as it were, um, though it did certainly complicate my life in various ways, and though it has introduced uh, certain components of temptation, certain things that I need to say no to, um, it has also in some ways manifested as a blessing that there are certain forms of temptation I don't experience. Um, I remember when I was, uh, when I was re relatively young in puberty and very much in the mentality of trying to fix myself, trying to become straight, uh, to become what I thought I was supposed to be in order to follow Jesus. I remember this one time I came across a picture of a scantily clad woman and I remember thinking to myself, you know, I'm told that if I love Jesus more, I, I would be straighter. And I'm also told that if I were straight, like everybody else apparently is, then when I saw a picture like this of a scantily clad woman, I would like feel things about this picture. Like I would, I would want to lust after it. And so I took the picture and I began attempting to lust after the picture, thinking that that would be the thing that would maybe help me become more what I was supposed to be. Because I was so caught up in the notion that said, there is some way in which I, because my experience is not like everybody else's, I am more broken and in need of fixing. And so the thing that I need to do is to try to act, to try to think like everyone else apparently does. Um, and I think one of the things that we miss 
when we get caught up in this question of uh, how we fix people, how we make them more normal, how we make them more, more comfortable to us, one of the things that we miss is the invitation to ask, okay, for each individual person, uh, what kinds of vocations is this person particularly gifted for? Um, when I was when I was caught up in trying to fix myself, the fixing that I ultimately saw myself headed toward involved marriage. Um, but when I left behind that narrative of trying to fix myself into someone who was straight and just said, okay, here are the cards that I'm dealt. I'm attracted to men. I love Jesus. Here's my understanding of what Jesus has to say as far as how his followers are called to steward their sexuality. I think that means my choices are marriage to a woman or singleness. And I find myself not very drawn to marriage to a woman. Maybe this is God's very loud megaphone-ish way of being like, you should be single, Coles. Um, and when I began to when I began to embrace that possibility, then the 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 good things about singleness, the ways in which that might actually become a fruitful and productive vocation for me, came more and more to the fore in ways that were really difficult to see when the only thing that I did to assess my sexuality as somebody who was gay was to say, there's something wrong with me. There's something fundamentally more broken about me and it needs to be fixed. This conversation, I think Thomas, you would agree, really plays well with episode 10 when we had Cutter Calloway talking about the theology of marriage. Right. You know, and, and the way that he breaks down marriage and, and even our idol of it, I, you know, I'm, I'm going back to that as I'm hearing Greg talk about his experience. Well, and what you're seeing is that he had the framework and many others do as well, that sexuality uh, really reflects its most holy sense either in marriage or in a heterosexual relationship. And in reality, sexuality should be reflection of God, yeah. of Jesus. And we just we just don't tie it back to the, the right source, if you will. Yeah. Let, let me just take a moment and check in with you because you're, you're listening to Greg's story, right? You're, you're engaging it. You're a pastor. But even at the onset of this episode, we, we were talking about even some of the different dynamics of, oh, wow, same-sex attraction not being sent. Like, like, how are you responding to Greg's story? Yeah, at this part in the story, I'm, f- I'm, I'm more empathetic now because I see how the church, I see how church culture just has tangled up the love of God and that message a bit, right? And that's, mm. that's really the back end of the story so far he's been wrestling with is how all of his 12-year-old, 13-year-old thoughts were warped by this. And so I get that and see the misstep there and, and call us as believers to love, love better. Hmm, such a great word. Well, let's transition back to Greg um, and, and just have him share about the messages he's heard uh, as someone who is gay about getting married. And there's even something here that I, I love in the way that he breaks down 1 Corinthians 13 that is just so very important for all of us to hear. I think when I was growing up, I had a sense that my life ought to look like the stories I was reading about in books combined with the lives of my parents and other respectable people I saw around me in communities of faith. Uh, And certainly one of the things that was true of the community of faith that I was part of growing up uh, was that pretty much everyone in positions of leadership 
was was married or at least had been married and perhaps had had lost their spouse at some point, especially folks who were um, part of the older demographic. Um, but there was a fairly standard narrative that I saw that included uh, marriage and children at some point along the way, almost all the time. And I think that was reinforced for me by the fact that whenever I had conversations with people about where my life was headed, they would almost always seem to presume that marriage would be part of that story. Uh, and so when we talked about how my life would develop, the ways in which God would grow me in the coming seasons, one of the things they were often sure to say was, and of course, when you get married, and it was always a when, never an if, when you get married, God will also work in your life in the following ways. You know, And they would reassure me, for instance, like you're so selfish right now as a single person in ways you don't even realize, but when you get married, you will finally become the sort of person that you were meant to be. God will use your marriage. Uh, and I think it's very true that God does use marriage for the people who he calls to marriage to refine them in various ways. Um, but but the narrative that I was told was a narrative in which that was going to be uh, an expected part of my my development, my my growth. It's telling to me that the verse that I often hear read at weddings, at Christian weddings, which I love, by the way, I love a good Christian wedding. Um, I get I get all I get all emotional with the best of them at a good wedding. Um, but I think it's telling that we often hear 1 Corinthians 13 read at weddings uh, and often seemingly with this tone that suggests um, that, the, that the best and truest form of love that human beings can experience is to be found in marriage. Um, and so when we look at a marriage relationship and say this is the context in which we believe that love is patient and kind and does not boast and is not proud, if we think that those things belong most of all to the vocation of marriage, then it's just good logical sense that anybody who doesn't end up within the vocation of marriage is obviously going to have in some way a deficient experience of those traits of love. And so they're not going to get to be selfless and they're not going to get to seek others ahead of themselves. Why? Because we think of those things as 1 Corinthians 13 things and 1 Corinthians 13 belongs at weddings. Um, now, I, I, I do think 1 Corinthians 13 belongs at weddings, um, but I also think that it, it belongs in all of our relationships. And I think 1 Corinthians 13 makes the most sense when you recognize that it comes in the same epistle as 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul gives us some of his uh, punchiest thoughts about singleness. And, and one of the things that Paul says there that's really fascinating is uh, he says the, the, the married person is, is concerned with the things of the world and how to please their spouse. And so their interests are divided. Um, but, the, but the single person is concerned with the things of God. And so Paul says, uh, so then, you know, the one who marries does, does good. Um, but the one who does not marry does better. Uh, and uh, I, I, I read that passage to my brother John shortly after he got married, um, just just for funsies, uh, and, and not as a way of trying to suggest that I think that singleness is a superior calling and marriage an inferior one, but rather I think the vision that we get in the Bible is a vision in which both marriage and singleness are equally and uniquely beautiful vocations within which followers of Jesus 
can steward their sexualities. Um, there's not one vocation that is more selfish and one that is less selfish inherently. Uh, the, the selfish vocation is to do what you want instead of doing the thing that God calls you into. If God calls you into marriage, then throw yourself headlong into marriage and do it selflessly. If God calls you into singleness, throw yourself into singleness and do it selflessly. Um, either way, the invitation is to follow Jesus, to think of your marriage or your singleness, not as something that is entered into for your own sake, for your own pleasure, for your own happiness, but rather to think of either of those vocations as something that is entered into for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the advance of his glory. Uh, and, and when we think of our marriage or our singleness as being vocations that are fundamentally ordered toward a story that is about Jesus, a story that's not about us at all. Um, the more we live into a story that's not about us, the more we are refined by our marriage or our singleness. Why? Because the tools that God is using to refine us are the same tools by which he is using us to shape and influence the world around us. I can't tell you how much I appreciate what Greg just said. It makes me really excited because it's it's the work of Project 619. It's what we've been doing. The language in which he is is engaging in all of this is is representative of the heart of our ministry. And so I'm I always get really excited when we have guests and we have individuals that come on and actually share the heart of God, that dive deep into scripture and I just so resonate with the way that he uh, both breaks down 1 Corinthians 13, but then rightly talks about how the same author, Paul, brings up 1 Corinthians 7 and how he breaks that down. And we're going to have more conversations on this in future episodes, but I do really hope that we are sitting in this and engaging it. Okay, now I just want to transition quickly into him sharing his own coming out story with his parents. And and you're going to find some tools, I think, in this and, and, and really even a message of hope that I hope encourages you as you are listening to this. So, so my own experience of coming out to my parents was this. I was 25 years old. I had freshly turned 25 and they were living on a different continent than I was at the time. They were still in Indonesia. I was back in America and under the circumstances, I didn't want to wait until the next time we were in the same country to come out to them. So I came out to my parents via phone call, which is not good coming out etiquette. Like if, if you're if you're listening to this and looking for good ways to come out to your parents, this is not like a how to. Um, but but in our case, it, it seemed appropriate. Um, and, and we had a really good conversation. Uh, I think I walked about six miles and, and drank my way through about two liters of water uh, during that conversation. And, and my parents were really wonderful in that conversation. And, and one of the things that was most wonderful about how they engaged that conversation was that they just listened really well. Um, and when they asked questions, which they did because they had tons of questions for me and rightfully so, the questions that they asked um, were, were just questions motivated by a desire to understand more. They weren't questions uh, that, that faulted me for, uh, for the, the experience that I was describing to them. Um, 
if if my parents had any any sort of grief that they needed to work through during that conversation, uh, if they needed to grieve the potential loss of some of their own good Christian reputation, should I ever come out more publicly, um, if they needed to grieve the grandkids they wouldn't have because I wasn't producing any of them, uh, if, if there was any kind of grieving that my parents needed to do, they didn't grieve on me. They might have found other conversations, other people to process with. Um, but in that conversation and in our subsequent conversations, they, they sought to understand. While I don't know Greg's parents, can I just say I love Greg's parents? The fact that they were able to love on their child, step close to him because of who he is, both in Christ and in relation to them, rather than see him through a lens that really didn't identify fully with all of Greg. This is beautiful. I, I'm, I'm also thinking of parents that are listening to this right now that might be in a similar situation. And I'm so grateful for the way that Greg shares his story and, and for the response that his parents gave in the midst of the narrative that he's sharing. Now, if you're a parent that's in a similar situation, I just want you to know that Greg does this great job of just giving some tips. In fact, just listen to some of those now. I think the first thing I would want to uh, say to that parent is that knowing knowing that your child is is gay is a gift um, because it's it's a gift to get to know more fully your your child's experience of the world. Um, and so I hope uh, even even if there's some some challenge or even some grieving that comes with that, uh, I hope you're able to receive the gift of, of knowing more fully your child's experience of the world. And I hope that your first response is, is to reaffirm your love. Um, I hope that, that when your child comes out to you, that's the first thing you say and the last thing you say, and that you say it about 17 times in the middle. Um, or if they're already out to you and that isn't how you responded, um, I hope that you take the opportunity now uh, to, to reaffirm your love for your child. Uh, because like I said before, there, it is really hard um, for those of us who are in the closet to to truly believe that we're actually as loved as people say we are by them and by God. Um, and so when we come out, one of our biggest questions is, does this knowledge now change the things that I've been told that, that you feel about me or the things that I've been told that God feels about me? And so I think one of the most important things we can do, especially in that early coming out phase is just to make sure that people know uh, that our love does not come with asterisks and that God's love does not come with asterisks. Beyond that sort of initial moment, I think one of the most important things for parents to keep in mind is that ultimately the, the best thing that they can do is help their child fall more in love with Jesus. Um, and again, this is this is speaking to Christian parents here. If if you're if you're a non-Christian parent, I would still say that's the best thing you can do. But I'm saying that as somebody who loves Jesus. Um, but assuming that you are indeed a Christian parent and that you desire to see your child grow up in Christ, it's in, it's important that love for Jesus remains the primary thing. Um, I think it can be so easy, so tempting for issues related to sexuality, especially. LGBTQ sexuality to kind of overtake uh, the more general conversation about Christian discipleship. Um, 
And it can be really tempting for parents to almost want to substitute their own judgment for their child's judgment or to substitute their love for Jesus for their child's perhaps love of Jesus. Um, Parents often want to step in and take over for our kids in the places that they feel like, I'm not sure my child is going to do this in the way that I think they should. Um, but in reality, if if we're raising children so that they can eventually leave the home and go on making choices of their own, then the highest priority is that we raise kids who are so in love with Jesus that they continue to be eager to follow Jesus uh, in the years well beyond their time at home. And when we're talking about what it looks like for somebody who is LGBTQ to follow Jesus, uh, I would say, regardless of what you believe the Bible has to say about sexuality, uh, it's going to be tricky uh, for an LGBTQ kid to follow Jesus. Uh, certainly, I would say, as, as somebody whose who's conviction is that I think the Jesus has called me to be celibate, um, that's a, it's, it's, it's a pretty tricky calling at times. Um, and it's not something that I can do on the basis of somebody else's faith. It's not something that I can do simply because my parents told me, hey, Greg, we think it would be a really good idea for you. It, it's not something that I can do uh, just because people I trust have told me to do it. Following people I trust can maybe last me for a couple of months, even a couple of years, but I can't walk a lifetime of sexual self-denial on the basis of someone else's faith. And so I think uh, I would I would encourage and even urge parents, uh, if, if the thing that you want is in the long run uh, to see your child be a disciple of Jesus, um, then be sure to make that the primary thing. Um, not trying to force your child to agree with you on every point of theology, not trying to ensure that every bit of your child's behavior lines up perfectly with the sort of behavior you would like to see from them, but instead cultivating them in them a mentality that says, following Jesus is actually my highest priority, even if I get it wrong at times, um, so that uh, your kids can become the sort of people who over the course of time, again and again, are willing to say, I want to keep following Jesus. I want to keep leaning deeper into following Jesus, even when it's costly, even when it's counterintuitive. Thanks again for listening to Sex Plus Christian Parents. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. And we thank you so much for diving into this important conversation. Let me just add that Greg has a new book coming out this month, It's called No Longer Strangers, Finding Belonging in a World of Alienation. I highly recommend this book. I know you will not be disappointed if you check it out. One last thing before we leave today's episode. We are proud to announce that we have launched a brand new resource. It's called Christian Sexuality. It is meant for parents and for pastors. And you can simply go check it out right now at www.christian-sexuality.com. And it will be a great resource. In fact, one of the many conversations that we have in it is same-sex sexuality. And Greg is actually a guest on that series. Go check it out now. Again, thanks for listening to Sex Plus Christian Parents Podcast.